Hey guys, it's Elle here. Hey, and this is Mad. And today we're going to be discussing An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir. Yes. Yes. Okay. And good revolutions. <sighs> and good young adult romance that's not super cheesy. And- Actually. Sorry, you cut, yeah, out for, you, you cut out for a second. I can hear you. Oh, I said, actually, yes. And that was all I said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And, like, I love the characters so much. And the story is very complicated. Yes. Uh, I should have reread this. Yes. Well, if you have the book, you can skim through it. That's um, prompting. So we open up with, uh, there's the two characters. you got Laia and Elias. Yes. And up with Laia who has her brother's sketchbook and is waiting for her brother to come home. And it's like, brother, why do you have this illegal sketchbook? Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't know why there's a problem with the sketchbook or what her brother is doing. It's just mysterious. It's, it, I think it's that um, the drawings that he has in there are of the specific swords or something. It's revealed later, and I don't remember if this is opened up with at the beginning. It is revealed later that he was the apprentice to Spiro Teleman, who is one of the greatest makers of Teleman blades, which are super fancy. And yeah. so he the weapons, the plans for the weapons, and and this is something that's actually I've been finding has been hammered home more on the second book, where they they say the reason that the the Empire, I can't remember the name of the marshals, mm-hmm. the Empire Roman people. The reason they're able to maintain control is because they're the only ones who can manufacture these intense weapons. So they have the advantage of weaponry, which is what's keeping the other side, the scholars, in place. Yep. Because it's it's something like um, when they're fighting, regular break against these blades because they're yes. so well made. Yes. You literally can't fight back, and that's insane. And then you have that plus the masks which are absolutely terrifying spooky cool yeah it's like when you when you first meet them it's in that first chapter right i believe so um because i believe their house is raided shortly after it moves pretty quickly which i commended it for mm-hmm. um and then you could you're confronted with the masks who raid lies house and then she has to run away yeah, which introduces a lot of interesting personal character conflict for Laia straight away, which is very nice, I think, where she lives afterwards with that doubt of maybe I shouldn't have run. Maybe I should have stayed with my family. Maybe I should have helped my family. She feels like a coward for a lot of the book, which I think is part of what spurs her to acting and taking on some of the jobs she does is because she feels like she has to make up for that. And she has yeah. to make sure it worthwhile that she ran, which is really great character motivation right out the gate. One of the things that um, I remember from reading this is um, there's a lot of moments where she compares herself to her brother. Oh, yes. But, like, she's also comparing herself to her mother. Mm-hmm. Around anymore. Her mother was supposedly, like, this pretty, like, big badass who was, like, she was, like, super cool and she was, like, courageous and she would stand up yeah. for what she believed in. She but, was like, lying. Yeah, but it was like every time she compared herself to her brother, she wouldn't really be comparing herself to her brother. She'd be comparing herself to her mother Mm -hmm. because she'd be like, I wish I was like Darren or Darren. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but she'd compare herself to him. And then she'd be like, "Um, but my brother is like our mother in like this way and that way and that way. And it's really her comparing herself to her mother rather than her comparing herself to her brother. 
Which is interesting, too, because we don't really know much about her brother before he's taken, and we know nothing about her mother beyond what she tells us because the mother is out of the picture by the time the book starts. So mm -hmm. we're learning through them through it, kind of an indirect telling in a lot of ways, where they're telling us about her family and where she's coming from and who these people are just for through her recollections of them and her struggle to be more than she is mm -hmm. in her eyes. Um, it's it's handled so well and there, there are moments where she does stuff that you're like no sane person would ever do this but I guess because you're in this mindset or in this position you feel like it's something you need to do so I'll, I'll give you that why I, I, I get why you do it but really why are you doing this <laughs> yeah but I don't know for me too having a sibling and it's it was I think there was a lot for me to feel like I relate to because I'm super close to my brother I have a brother and so having that connection when I'm looking at Laya's position and I'm looking at the choices she makes and the she actions that she does and the guilt she feels and the things that drive her I feel like I can relate to her a lot better than I've been able to relate to a lot of other YA protagonists who are kind of I'm in it for myself or I'm in it for this person I met or I'm in it for this belief it's a it's a really per um, that I thought was really well handled in this. I think the relationship between siblings as not just, I'm jealous of my sibling or this is my younger sibling I need to take care of. She's in the interesting position of being the younger sibling, but having the affection for her brother and the care for her brother that it drives her no matter what she's doing and what predicament she's in, even when things are really scary and she makes decisions that are very concerning. That's interesting because I personally relate to Elias more Mm -hmm. Which is, it's not, it has nothing to do with my, my like, my parents. My parents are not scary. <laughs> <laughs> my mother is not the commandant that oh, that would be. Concerned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like the, the idea of, um, you have this standard to live up to within your family. Mm -hmm. And, like, you need to reach, you have to do things in a certain way and be at a certain level in order to, like, live up to the expectations that people have set. Mm-hmm. In that way, I kind of understand where Elias is coming from more, even though, even to the point where he's like, I can't really deal with this anymore and I just want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and that's, that's really cool. And I think that was really, it was a good setup to have those two characters who are both, they're driven by family. I just, I've realized now that you stated that they're both driven by their family and their family expectations and how they're perceiving themselves in relation to their families and all that. Um, it affects how they think and it affects their guilt in a lot of ways, but it's two very different directions. So it gives kind of a wide range for you to connect to one character over the other, or maybe both if you connect to both. Yeah. Um, there's like the the fantasy stuff which uh yeah i will say i don't feel like the family the not family the fantasy elements in this book are as strong as they could be i don't even sometimes it doesn't even feel like they're necessary aside from small plot plot bits it might be the second book is starting to get a little little wilder as i'm stepping in there but for the most part i forget that these elements are there until you know the augers are throwing them into dreamscapes or Helene's using magic singing powers to heal people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there was like one moment where they were in one of the. Okay, let's 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 hop back before we talk about that because the whole thing is that they're trying to pick the emperor, right? The next right. emperor. And there's this competition that they have to enter, and it's Elias. 
is it Helene or Helene or? I pronounce it Helene. Helene? Okay. Yes. It's Elias, Helene, and Marcus. Mm-hmm. Were there other people that were in it as well, or is it just Mar- like me? Marcus's brother, Zach. Um, yeah. And I th- those were the, I think those were the only people. Okay. I think it was the four people, and then they were specially picked. Yeah. So it's like these people are trying to, they're in this competition and they have to go against each other to figure out who's going to be emperor. And like the trials in it are interesting, but like, as I said, it's been a while since I read this. So it's kind of a little bit blurry for me. Mm-hmm. I remember the the one I remember specifically is the one where they kind of like get tossed out on their own and they have to find their way back. Yes. And I think that was the most interesting one for me because it was like, um, it was a lot more personal because I think they were like seeing things that had to do with like their inner fears or something. Right. Yeah. It's the, co- the conflicts. It's just because the trials to me were not the most interesting parts of the book for me. When actually when the trials were going on, a lot of the time I was wanting to go back and see what was happening to Laya in her adventures, which we'll get to. But, um, they, they put their well they're well handled and that they put the characters in a position of having to face themselves and having to face the things they're afraid of and having to face a moral code and it all aligns with their beliefs of what an emperor should be but you have that first trial of um the the i think it was the first one was the dreamscape thing where they have to uh they're all tossed on their own they see their fears and then they have to make their way back um and then the second one was they trap them in the rooms or and try and kill them in the rooms I remember came in with saving Elias. Don't ask me. It's been like two years, or or is it three years? Oh boy! Yeah. You should have reviewed this. Mm-hmm. Second one, they are tossed. They they are. I think they're locked in the barracks, and they send other other masks to kill them, or some some other person in general to go kill them. I think it was masks. Elias had a lot of conflict in these situations where he had to fight or kill his fellow masks. Which was no go, no go. I was like, well, it's it's again really interesting because a lot of Elias' conflicts to me seem to come from loyalty because he had, like you said, he has that pressure to live up to the expectations of his family. And while he hates what the marshals are doing and he wants to escape this life, he also has that care for his fellows who are contributing to the things he hates about his world. But they're his, they're his friends or they're his fellow people, and the idea of killing them hurts him. Yeah, because he, he literally went through n- next to hell like with these people. Cause yeah. it was, like when they get tossed out, when they're in like the fifth year, they're called fibers or something. And they yeah. just get tossed out and they have to like survive. Like those, these are people that he literally has like bonded with. They're like probably closer to family than his actual family. Yes. When he tur- it turns around and they're like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta kill them. It's like, I don't really want to do that. And is that the same one where they end up like um, going down the wall and they're like, uh, they're like creatures coming after them? I can't remember what creatures uh, they yes. were. I think if they were they were jinn or ifrits. They were pulling and, out all those. I think I think they suspected they were ifrits for a while. I can't remember if they actually were. I know they weren't jinn. Mm. Also, is jinn pronounced jinn or genie? There's, I believe there's Jin and then there's also Genie. They're two separate pronunciations referring to the same thing. I don't know if it's a translation problematic problem. Um, I may also be mixing this up entirely, but I've always pronounced Jin without the I at the end. It's just Jin. If it has the I at the end, it's, it is Genie. 
Okay. Cool. Yes. I, I just remember I pulled from a lot of, or when I was reading it, I was getting imagery from a lot of, um, I think that's Arabic, uh, Arabian Nights kind of creatures and characters, spirits. So if there were if there weren't jinn in there, that was where I was pulling it from because Ifrit's I associate with that. But anyway, yes, they're they're repelling down the side, and Helene is terrified, and also I think she's half dragging Elias' ass because he's. I think did he get shot? He got shot. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. He was injured at some point. I thought, and, she, and uh, she was facing her fears, taking care of him. She takes care of him for a lot of the book in a lot of ways. Yeah, she doesn't get a lot out of it for no. how much <laughs> Helene deserves better. She does. She's so good, but she's also so terrible in how stuck in her way she is and how Elias is like, listen, look at what we're doing. And she goes, this is my land. These are my people. I am loyal. Oh. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is fair. But uh, adding to that conflict, it, and it's interesting how it jumps between that, and then you have Elias who's like doing all that stuff, and then you have Leia who's just, you know, chilling with the rebels. She's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I wouldn't call volunteering to serve in the commandant's house as a slave chilling with the rebels, but you know, she is chilling with them for a bit and sneaking off to see the boys, and then mm-hmm. yes. Uh, do you want to wrap up Elias's trial and then we'll dig into Elia? Yeah. Well, but what was the third? The third one was third just one, like the all-out fight. The third one was the horrible fight where it wasn't all out. They paired them up and told each other to kill each other. So mm-hmm. Elias got paired up with Helene and Zach got paired up with Marcus and they took all of their squad squad members. So it wasn't just these two having to fight it out. They have the stakes of all of these people who are loyal to them who have agreed to follow them. Um, marching out to the battlefield to go against each other, which was horrible. Uh, it, adds, it adds a really different weight because you can't just bend over like Elias was wanting to. You can't just bend over and say, well, I'll let my friend kill me because I'd rather sacrifice myself because you're also killing your entire troop for doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are people who, and those people knew they were going into this going in when Elias wakes up there and he's like, what's going on? They all have this look on this, this face where they know what's coming. It's horrible. That was the most one of the most frightening parts of the books for me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's 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 made worse by the fact that you know Marcus just kills his brother. Yes, and that hurt me too a lot in a lot of ways. Even though Marcus can go die at a hole <laughs> at any point, he's oh, I don't I don't want him. I don't like him. Goodbye. But I don't know. I I had a lot of hopes for Zach. Zach was, I think, starting to break out of that mold and that mindset to be a, a decent person. And then Marcus, for as horrible as he is, too, that was like the, his one person who understood him. That was his his twin brother. They were they were closer than anyone else in this situation in a lot of ways, I feel like. Um, and it is destroyed. The fact that he had to kill his brother, I think, destroyed any decency in him. Yeah, because they, they kind of softened each other, right? Yeah, they did. Um, and you're starting to see the repercussions in book two, or I am anyway, because I'm, again, working through that. Mm-hmm. But he's, that was the, the part of him that sometimes held him back. Zach held Marcus back in some ways, and in a positive way, like, let's let's not utterly be completely horrible people. And at least, you know, you have, I don't know, I feel like that, that 
fact that you can have that affection for another person, and you can have loyalty to at least one person, there's some redemption in there versus a person who is all for themselves and only for themselves. Not that it excuses anything Marcus does or makes him a less horrible person, but they, I feel like there was groundwork there for him to be a better person that is gone now. Does not make it so much worse when you see what they could have been and then it's just taken away. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And I was, again, as they started to explore Zach more and more, I was, I was waiting for, for him to, I don't know. I was waiting for him to turn around and say, you know what? I'm going to be a decent person and we'll get through this together or something was going to happen. I was waiting. And then I couldn't even spend too long dwelling on the horror of what those two had to do because I was watching Elias having to fight Helene. Mm -hmm. Oh no, don't do this. And then watching even, because I didn't get super attached to the squad members, they're not mentioned a whole lot, um, but like Leander and Dex and all them. Uh, but oh, it was it was horrible because I'm, you're watching this and you're in this position of trying to root for one thing, but anything you root for is going to end up horribly. Mm-hmm. No matter who you root for, like someone you like is gonna die. Yep. It's it's yep. Like, mm, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice. Yeah. It's a sacrifice no matter what. It's one of those scenes where you it's another one of those I should be upset with this, but I, I enjoy it so much that I I'm fine. Yes. Way to raise the stakes. Five <laughs> percent. Oh. Uh, and it's like going back to that point you made how you're following Elias and Helene for this whole thing and then you just turn around and it's like well Zach's dead yes it, it's, it's just like you don't even I don't even remember if she writes it that you see it happen but or it's just like oh well you know Zach's dead now yeah, well, they don't say a whole lot on it, and you don't see it happen. You just see that Marcus comes back, and you have that dread in your stomach. And there's a point where Marcus killed me a little bit because he said something. He said something along the lines of, "He was my little brother." He calls him his little brother, and he says, "I had to kill my little brother." And I was like, "Oh gosh," mm. and that that hurt me so much, and I felt horrible for him. And then Marcus was destroyed. And then I couldn't really feel horrible for him much longer because he was going to go be Marcus. Yeah, but like you, 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 you feel, you do feel for him though because it's like you. It's like you're not completely terrible yet, but ah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's he's horrible and slimy and gross. But when he says that, he's so broken, and it's so horrible because you know how much, how close he was to his brother and how much he meant to him, and imagining what he had to do. I mean, we suffer through Helene and Elias, so we kind of have that feeling of this. But it's it's amplified in a very different way because that was his brother, and this was the person he was hoping to rule with, like as you know, blood striking emperor. But. It's, 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 oh, everything's broken. And that's when you really realize there's no way. Cause I, I, I don't know how, what you're doing when you're reading this. When I was reading this, I was making arrangements like, well, Elias doesn't want to be emperor, but he could be emperor and Helene could be Bloodstrike or vice versa. Or we can arrange it this way. So, so and so is this person. And on and on. I was, I was making my arrangements of how, how this could work out to be okay. And then that fight, you realize everything's not going to be okay. No way. <laughs> Everyone's like, out of this okay. Something horrible is about to happen. It's like, well, you know, this is this is the point of no return. This is where everything yeah. just kind of goes to crap. 
Exactly. And then it's like you, on some levels, you keep expecting that because I think the augurs tell Elias that he's going to be free, right? Yeah. Or something. He's going to have the freedom that he always wanted, and you expect that he's just going to get away, you know, or he's going to become emperor and he's going to be able to change things. And then it's just like you get to the end of the book, spoilers, and then it's just like (laughs) he's going to die. Yeah. Like. And he's in jail. He's sitting there. He's about to get like beheaded or something. And it's just like, you know, there's there's no getting out of this. Yep. And he's making his peace and you're sitting there going, oh, no. Oh, no. You're like, this is not the freedom I wanted. No, this was not how. Yeah, this is not how this should have gone. Should have gone. And you're watching going, is this really going to happen? Mm-hmm. Also, A plus two vague prophecy speaking you're going to be freed if you accept this trial and then he's like and then he goes with the implications of okay i mean we we were imagining maybe he could be emperor he could change things which also is a fact that i don't feel like elias fully grasped the things he could do if he were emperor he was too busy like no i'm gonna run now because the empire sucks Mm -hmm. um but then there he had the thought of well i could be helene's blood strike she can release me and then there was the thought of well maybe he won't be emperor or blood strike but he'll get away but no he's sitting waiting for his death and you begin to wonder after everything that's happened could this really be what the release meant or the what freedom meant mhm freedom through death and you're yeah. like please no yeah please, please don't and the, i mean the, now that there's sequels or a sequel and a third on the way you know that's he's not going to die because he has to live on to the next book. But, you know, when this was first out and it was just one book, you had to wonder if mm-hmm. maybe she was going to go through with it. Because she, again, she'd raised the stakes enough in the trials that you you fear, fear for the characters and you realize she is willing to go. The author is willing to go to some painful lengths here. Yeah, yeah. And you were so lucky that you didn't read this when it was one book. And <laughs> those as a standalone series because who oh boy. Can you imagine just finishing this and being like, there's never gonna be another one? Mm-mm. No. No. Or just waiting no. in the void wondering what's gonna happen now that everyone's escaping. It, it was it was it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And then they announced the second one, and life was rosy. But (laughs) it's like the idea that he gets his freedom, like even though it's not freedom through death. Like I was like, thank you. But the the idea that um, it's that he comes to this realization that I am gonna be who I want to be, regardless of what they want of me, and this is gonna be how I. This is how I'm going to accept things. Mm -hmm. And this is how I'm going to come into... It's like... It's exactly like you said, making peace with himself and finding freedom in his own um, mind as opposed to freedom running away. Because I think it's actually mentioned in the book that if he had run, he would always be looking over his shoulder. He would always be like worrying about when somebody's going to come for him. Yes. But the fact that he stayed and he made that peace means that no matter where he goes... He's going to be, like, pretty, you know, how do you explain it? He's going to be kind of, like, set in himself. That's not the best words, but. He's, I I don't know, he's figure, he's, he's made a peace with himself with, or I don't know, an understanding of who he is and what he is now that he wouldn't have had if he just run because he sat through this and he's had that impending doom. Um, 
So now I don't know. He can, I feel like he can live with a different kind of resilience or affirmation of himself that he wouldn't have had before. Mm-hmm. And ex- acceptance of himself too. Yeah. And I think I think acceptance of himself was a big thing he fights with throughout the book with his 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 mixed lineage and uh, his qualms about the empire. And his our- scary mother. Oh yes, scary mom. Also, I love um, mom coming into his jail cell to bond with him before he dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, you're gonna die now, so I could as well. Yes, and she's like, man. I hate you so much. I have no feelings toward you. I wanted to kill you this whole time. But hey, you know, I relate to you in some ways. And you're saying, no, you really don't. But uh, I'll give you that for two seconds, I guess. I think my favorite favorite moment is when, well, one of my favorite moments is when they introduce the commandant for the first time. Is when they're punishing the boy in the courtyard. Oh, yes. And it's, it's literally it's just like this scary commander who's going to like whip this, basically whipping this boy to death. Yes. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this is my, this is my mom. Yep. That's, that's her. Yeah. Welcome to, welcome to my mom. What is it? Um, we look eyes across the long courtyard and I'm struck for the hundredth time at how different we are. I have black hair, she is blonde. My skin glows golden brown and hers is chalk white. Her mouth is ever disapproving while I look amused even when I'm not. I'm broad-shouldered and well over six feet while she's smaller than a scholar woman, even with a deceptively willow form. And then he continues like comparing them. And then it's like, she gave me the ruthless instinct and speed that made me the best student Black Cliff has seen in two decades. Mother, it's not the right word. Mother evokes a warmth and love and sweetness, not abandonment in the tribal desert hours after mm. birth. And you're like, what? Mm, didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> what? And this is, you're like, this is page 31. What? Yep. Yep. It's, and that's just like, a perfect introduction for the character because you just know like just from that it's like this is not someone you're really gonna mess with yes you have that first impression and then you add the the second backhand by the way this is mom yeah (laughs) (laughs) anyways do you do you want to talk about you're gonna talk about leono because we haven't and then i want you to talk about the command commandant commandant a little more Uh yeah yes okay so Laya needs to go save her brother and they're like the resistance says we can save your brother just need to have you go spy on the house of the scariest person in the entire martial empire why would she believe them well I think it's in a lot of ways the setup for this is brilliant because she believes them as this is the resistance these are the people who are undermining this terrible authority uh, these are the people my family trusted. I know there's a lot of parts where where you're like you're dumb though because someone in this order betrayed your parents and that's the reason they're dead. But yeah. also, as the readers of people who've been reading about resistances for so long, the fact that there's something wrong with this resistance and the fact that there's something that makes you you doubt this is actually the good guys as a, a creeping thing was really good for the readers because for me, I was ready to buy into a resistance because you always buy into the resistance. You always side with the resistance. And then maybe you say, you know, I don't need this particular path, but you never really suspect that there's something wrong with it. Um, I, I don't anyway, usually because I've been reading, you know, hunger games and 
mm-hmm. divergent the long list of all the dystopian resistances for so long yeah so i think it was it was clever of the author i think to set up a situation that's really familiar with us but tweak the the goodness of them and the morality of them but like that that's a good point there because the like it's the the age-old thing of no there's no right side to anything i mean like one side might be a little bit like less agreeable than the other but they're both made up of people right yes and people aren't always gonna be quote-unquote good it's not ever black and white it's always gray so like the fact that you know these are the resistance they're trying to like free people they're trying to help people but they're not necessarily going to help you the individual exactly such it's such a good it's so well done yes and the way it's they're doing what they have to do but they're also doing it for the greater good she's just this one girl who is showing up looking for her one brother in Mm -hmm. a situation and they can use her so they they do because for them this is they're looking for the long term haul not to save one person yep and it's understandable but it's also really hurtful when you're sitting with Laya's position rooting for her and hoping she's finding her brother and waiting for them to help her and it's also because of that same perception of these are the good guys so the good guys should help the good guy exactly and then when they don't necessarily do that you're like but you're supposed to be the good guys (laughs) yep supposed to be the Robin Hood just helping every little poor downtrodden person from the scary overlords I mean Keenan. gosh Keenan. what a what a strange guy that I felt a little awkward watching Laya be around with Hey, Elias, okay, so as far as, like, the, the interesting romance, like, Elias and Helene, I will, I will ship that hard. That is, that was, that was a really cute and sweet pairing and all that. And I'm watching Keenan and Laya, and I'm like, I can't quite get a read on Keenan, and he's just kind of shifty, and he's a little bit awkward, and I feel for him in some ways, but I don't know, I feel really weird when he's around Laya, and Laya's just kind of like, I feel weird, and she's like, you know, he's cute, he's good, I, re- I, I relate to him, and I feel for him. I'm like, I guess that's good, but I don't, I don't see this as much. Mm-hmm. The bonds aren't as strong there, which I think also adds to that shaky feeling of uncertainty we were getting with the resistance, where you're starting to be like, I just, there's something here that's not quite what I think it is, mm-hmm. and not quite what I'm hoping for. It's it's that small thing that's just like slightly unsettling, and you can't put your finger on it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although when... <laughs> When they they introduce Keenan to Laya as her handler, they say, this is going to be your handler. I know that's a, that's like a spy, espionage, whatever term. But I was like, oh boy, there's going to be something there. <laughs> this is still YA fiction. Oh, uh, God. I, I am laughing for completely different reasons than you are. <laughs> oh, no. Is this your knowing about the future things? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, uh, okay. Um... All I can say is Keenan. Keenan gets more interesting as as oh, the books go on. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, um, Keenan. Ugh. What? I was like, well, Keenan. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about him ever now. 
I'm not saying it's like a bad interesting. I'm just saying it gets more interesting. Yeah. As I don't know. I just, I'm still, I'm still looking at one. Hmm. Hmm. Like I, I root for, I'll root for him. I'll mm -hmm. go for him. I don't, I don't understand. I don't know where he stands in my hierarchy of these are the, my favorites. My puddle of favorites. Hmm. Okay. 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 Well, I will, I will look out for that and I will now wait with anticipation to see his evolution. But uh, I'm on to Laya's mission, I guess. Gus, I'm, I'm keen in the resistance. I don't think there is because even though they're like they're they're not like in the forefront, so there's not that right. much to discuss about them. Yep. And which is I think another interesting element overall that we've been touching on is there's a lot of things that you would think would be a bigger deal, like the the magical beings and the resistance and all this that kind of takes a back seat when you're watching the characters kind of grapple with themselves and their relations to this world and feelings. Yeah, um, I think, I don't know if this is actually it, but when you consider the fact that this was supposed to be like a standalone book, that there was no guarantee there would be sequels, um, putting the characters first was kind of a smart move. Yes. Then she could have wasted a lot of time, like if it never got another book, she could have wasted a lot of time setting up... Um, all the mythology and all that stuff and then left the characters in the background and then we right. wouldn't have felt it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been as satisfying to read yes. so um knowing that there was a chance that there wouldn't be another book the the fact that those took a backseat i think it was smart especially since the second one kind of dives into it more yeah that's, that's really interesting. Um, and it, it is, like you said, that is really smart on her part and good planning on her part to prioritize the way she did. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so. The Commandant's house. Are we done, Claire? Oh, yeah, yeah. In the Commandant's house. In the Commandant's house, Ken. Oh, jeez. I feel like... That was a really scary situation, which I think shows how well the Commandant was characterized. It's a really scary situation, yet it doesn't feel like a lot of overly frightening things happen. Um, like, yes, Lyle was guard, but there's a lot of tension around the house where you're waiting for the Commandant to do something where she doesn't. And she is, uh, Lyle is saved mostly, they explain, because uh, Spiro or Spyro Teleman takes an interest in her. And the Commandant thinks it's sexual or something like that. So she's like, well, I'm not going to mark you up because if he'll talk to you because you're pretty, then I'm going to keep sending you. But mm -hmm. was, I don't know. I spent the whole time, anytime Laya was in that house, I was on edge the whole time. And anytime Laya did anything, I was like, oh, I really would not do that. That's very scary. I don't, I don't want, you don't want to cross the Commandant. Because <laughs> yeah, it's like, the pre like her presence is just always there, even when she's not there. Yes. The idea that even if she's not in the room, she knows what you did. Yes, she is the scariest person in this entire book. I love her. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not even surprised by that. <laughs> I mean, I was a little bit surprised with it because I don't, I don't, I, I have, I have picky feelings sometimes about those all-out vicious characters. There should be reasons for these things, but I still don't know the Commandant's reasons. I just know she is so intensely scary and off the rails that her own father doesn't want anything to do with her. 
Do we need to know her reasons, though? I want to know her reasons because I want to know why she is this way. I really, I really want to know why her grandfather, or not her grandfather, Elias's grandfather, her father is like, she's dead to me. And she's like, I don't need you. Which props to her for not needing people, but also lots of concern. Especially for her, <laughs> her Nightbringer friend, who I still don't understand. You mean the the the, the shady dude she was talking <laughs> the to? The literally shady dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's just the shade, yeah. the shade lord. Oh, jeez. Yeah, there's so much stuff that still needs explaining. Yes. Everything needs explaining, and I'm waiting for it, and there's... Ooh. You're gonna get more questions before you get answers. No, I can't. I can't live with more questions, though. The third book comes out soon, well, so good. I'm glad. I'm glad I waited this long, so I don't have to live here and suffer and wondering. And you gotta wait for the fourth one. Hmm. Nope. Yes. Oh, I thought we were going the trilogy route, like everything. Nope. Nope. Well, props to her for not going the trilogy route, and props to her for having a quartet. It already has a four point two. Out of five on Goodreads. That's great. I don't know how that works, though. You're talking about books that aren't out yet? Yeah, advanced reader copies oh. that go out to reviewers. Oh, look at that. Well, that's promising. Yeah, it's on the 24th of April. A Reaper at the Gates. But she's been dropping, like, um, quotes from characters <laughs> from, like, scenes in the book. <laughs> I'm di- I am so scared. Passing breadcrumbs to us peasant pigeons. I'm so sc- it's so scary. Like the quote she's putting out, it's like, "What are you doing? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? No, please, and no, please says, don't." Oh, no, and she says, "Oh yes," and throws more. It's literally, it's literally it. Like she'll post like videos on Instagram, and she'll just be laughing, oh. and I'm like, "Please stop! <laughs> please, please don't do this. <laughs> be kind." Oh, Anyways. <laughs> so, but yeah, like you, you'll definitely get more questions before you get some answers. But it's they're good questions, you know. It's, like, it's stuff that you go, I want to know, as opposed to like, do we do we have to do this right now? Literature. Why must you toy with my, my feelings so? Uh, I think they just enjoy it because Victoria, if you're just doing the same thing, watch them suffer. Like she's, dropping, she's dropping like quotes from the from like the book, which is a, it's the last book in the series. So she's she's dropping quotes and she's like doing interviews and she's just laughing at us. And I'm like, please, <laughs> we readers are slowly becoming all of the protagonists, where we must suffer and be confused and frightened and fearful for the world and not knowing how things are coming out. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's how I feel. Yeah, there's other real antagonists here. Ah! 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 Spare me. Nope. <laughs> Anyways, what were we talking we were about, about before? Laya, and then I derailed us to the Commandant really fast because Commandant. <laughs> um. Yeah. Cause she she does stuff like she pretends she can't read, so then she like reads letters over the commandant's shoulder yeah. and stuff. And then like I think the commandant realized that she was staring. I think she looks. I think or something. Looks, I think because I, I know at one point Laya is brushing the commandant's hair, which I'm also looking at. Going, wow, you're that close to her right now. 
I would be on the floor dead. Um, but I think Elias mm-hmm. looks up into the mirror and sees that the commandant is watching her in the mirror. Yeah. And then she goes, oh, the letters yeah. are so pretty. I wish I could read. Laughs nervously. <laughs> and you're like, girl, girl, you are, mm. you are playing a dangerous game right now. And she could like stab you just for, just for fun. And she could. She is, and I think I made this comparison in the Crooked Kingdom discussion at some point, but she's like Kaz Brecker in a way, where Kaz Brecker knows everything, and he's not afraid to do anything about it. But she's scarier in a lot of ways, because you're never in her head, and you don't know how she's getting her information. There's nothing about her that has been humanized or has that sense of, you're still just a mortal. We don't under. We know she's talking to Spooky Shady Man, and we know she knows everything, even when she shouldn't. And, uh, Aggressively wants to murder her son. And, uh, yes. What won't she yeah. do? And what won't she know? We don't know. There's so much uncertainty here. Are we all playing her game? <laughs> what is this? Oh my god. Yes. Okay, okay. Um, I can't talk about that. Can't, can't talk about that. Nope. Shouldn't have said that. Nope. Oh, okay. No, I'm, I'm like going through. I'm trying to like put the mark of where what book ends yes. <laughs> and what, what book so I don't say anything. And this book is just Helene saying, You guys can escape. I'm going to let you. And Elias runs off of Laya. Right. And all I know is right. the Commandant wants tattoos, I guess, from the Shady Man. <laughs> Which sounds, I don't know, I might be misreading that. It just sounds super sketchy. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do things for this shady man who's giving me tattoos in exchange. Sounds legit. Anyway. Maybe they're powerful tattoos. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're powerful Maybe. tattoos that will make her... Can you imagine an immortal commandant? Oh, no. Let's not have that picture. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> We don't need that. As much as I love her and would love to watch that the way you would love to watch a car crash. I don't need that. Uh, but yeah, there, there are a lot of moments where it's scary. Yeah. And I, I I do like the way they kind of gradually bring Elias and Elias together. It's not just outright now they're together. Yes. They love each other. Their interactions in the beginning stages of the book where they're meeting each other and starting to learn about each other are so tantalizing. Knowing that both of them are protagonists, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that, that, like you said, the way they the way they find each other and start to feel for each other feels slow and it feels natural and it's it's great. It's well done in ways that I don't see enough in books these days. Yeah. Because it, it's like there's there's is that um instant like attraction no. i guess like they're interested in each other like i think Elia has the curiosity about him because of who he yeah. is and where he's coming from the way he's behaving and then Elias, Elias i feel like does have she catches his eye because she is pretty but also because you know she is he feels for her because she is a servant of his mother and she's different from other servants slaves um I feel like, I, I don't know, I feel like on his end he was looking at her a little more because she, she caught his eye a little more because she was pretty. But everything else, I'm like, okay, that's fair, though. 
You want to know what this attractive, unmarred yet slave of your mother's is doing walking around here, and also why she's walking around in places she shouldn't be, among other things. But there's、mm-hmm. never that connection of, you know, I feel like you understand me in a way no one ever has in my entire life. Let's be in love. Yeah. And that's good. This is very good. It's. it's... <laughs> Character building and, and, and character. It's the same way that,、um, going back to the Cricket Kingdom, it's like at first when the six come together, it's not necessarily like a smooth thing. They still like have arguments、yeah. and they don't necessarily get along.、Yes. It's a way of bringing characters together that it's like there's a rough patch here, but we're still like. Curious, I guess, as to who the other person is and want to know more about it. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's really good. And that, and I like the scene where it's like, like Elias wakes up and they like bring Laya to him as like a prize or some garbage. Yep. Literally <laughs> do that. Here's your prize. <laughs> um, you're like, um, okay. Yes. It's like, there are problems with this. Okay. Which is pretty much the position Elias is in. He's like, oh, okay. Oops. <laughs> I don't know. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of that kind of sexism handing people over like prizes or treating people a certain way in the books. Like, it's not, it, I don't think it's handled crudely either, though. It's just like it, it's adding to your disdain for certain characters or certain mentalities about this world. And you're like, okay, this is, this is also why there are problems with this place that we need to deal with. But. Yeah. And the, the whole、um, slavery aspect is handled pretty well, too.、Mm-hmm. There, there are ways of doing it that you either undercut the emotional and the, the general abusive aspect of what slavery、mm-hmm. is, and other ways that you do it, and then it's just overkill. And it's like, you don't. Need to see that much of it because it, it can get to a point where it's kind of sickening to see because you don't necessarily need all of that. And she manages to find the balance where it's like not shying away from like the truth of what it is, but not overkill. Exactly.、Um, not glossing、And、over it in any way, but she's again not overkilling it like you're saying. And that's a hard thing to do. It is.、Uh, and it's, it's dealing with a lot of subjects that can be sensitive and, and are difficult to navigate through, too, in fiction. And also, I think having consideration for the audience and genre you're writing for makes it even easier、mm-hmm. to balance because there are certain things where there, are,、uh, there is a line you have to put down for your audience or you don't cross it for your audience. At least I, I would think so.、Um, that separates you know, young adult fiction from adult fiction. That, that's the thing that's been like, argued about a lot recently, though. Like,、um, how far do you push young adult fiction? Because they're books like. Is it A Court of Thorns and Roses? I have not read that. It, it's whatever the, the. It's like fairy tale ish almost, but they're like explicit、okay. sex scenes. In it. I have heard that about that, yes. Yeah. And. So it's like, that's kind of like refresh the argument of how much is too much in young adult fiction because young adult fiction is pitched for like 
13 to 18, although like people in their 20s still read young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, you know, it's, it's difficult to make arguments for against because, you know, you, you feel like you're not stupid as a, as a teenager reading these books. You understand these are, you've been told anyway that these are things that have happened and you shouldn't treat them, you know, like they're five or they're, they need to be sheltered or whatever in a certain way. But I also think that part of the field of young adult fiction is helping to navigate through different issues and different situations without burying you in too much other stuff and like shocking you with all this other stuff. Yeah. And, and to kind of spring off what you're saying, it's kind of like, there's the argument that it's like, well, you have the ability to choose what you read. And it's like, is it the author's job to censor stuff for you? Or is it your job to decide what you're going to read for yourself? Right. And in addition to that, it's like, uh, I forgot again. Why do I keep doing that? <laughs> uh, you you okay. go. I'll, it's I'll fine. word off of that. Where, yeah, I, I don't, again, it's, it's hard for me to make any argument that an author should censor anything. I don't believe that you should have to censor anything. But I also believe that you, you consider the, you have to consider the audience you're writing for and you have to consider how you're introducing things too. Because, I mean, to, to me, anyway, it's like even just things like swearing. I don't think heavy swearing necessarily needs to be involved in teen fiction unless you're helping them navigate through this kind of a rougher, more vulgar world. But I think that it's not as... Um, it, it, there's a certain wisdom that you don't have as a teenager looking at things like profanity and the impact of certain words and the impact of certain situations that you don't see until you're older. And that's just, it's, 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 I hate to say, you know, it's one of those things where you understand where you're older, but I feel like you have more of a, a wisdom with your age or more of experience with your age to understand a time and place for certain things that you don't have as a teenager. And so that kind of should be reflected perhaps in teenage literature to more effectively give a message or prove a point or just entertain in general. I remember what I was going to say. Thank you. You made a really good point there because um, this is another thing that I've been seeing people talk about. Um, the the whole idea that um, if a book is portraying a relationship that isn't necessarily a good relationship, is it a book that should be published? Mm. Or, you know, there was a, because it's the same A Court of Thorns and Roses thing where the relationship in that book isn't a good relationship. It's not a wholesome relationship. It's not a relationship that someone should be in because it's it's, an emotionally abusive relationship uh, heard because I haven't actually read the book this is just what I've heard of the book it's um, an emotionally and physically abusive relationship that really the character should not be in but she views it as something that she wants to be in so that's one of the reasons that people have a problem with the book because they're like this is not a relationship that children should be seeing right but then the other argument is should a book be censored for or should a book be actually um is, is the argument that this should be taken away because it's not a good relationship a good one? Because in the end, books are not really supposed to teach you how to... Like, a fictional book isn't... It's not its job to be like, this is a relationship that you should have. Right. I mean, if you, if you look at this, like, An Ember in the Ashes, there are a lot of things that happen in this book that aren't things that you want to happen in real life. Yeah. It's like, to what point do you like is, is it a good thing to look to to look at a book and be like you know 
that relationship isn't good so therefore i'm going to tell people not to read it or i'm going to like um go out of my way to like bash this book right. does it take away from like the the quality of the book or the writing of the book or the story that the book is telling if the relationships or the things that happen in it are are not necessarily wholesome right like and i, I don't have an answer for that because there's there are books that I personally wouldn't want to read because if their relationships like that because it's something that I wouldn't really want to read. But at the same time, it's like you can't. Can you? Is it is it right to be like don't let teens read this book because? Did you get yeah, what I'm trying I, to say? Yeah, I understand what you're trying to say because it's it's that balance of. Not you, you. You can't just publish only books that are going to teach you how to navigate the world in a healthy way. I think that's the benefit of books. I think books are supposed to help us, especially when we're younger, teach us like how to view the world or how to navigate the world or understand things that are healthy or hurtful for us. But it's also wrong. You get into that dystopian situation almost if you start saying it's wrong to publish these books that are promoting negative things or portraying something that's negative. Then you're silencing a whole section of only showing a positive perspective on life or you're only showing a you're you're showing a skewed view of life really you're showing a skewed perceptions and skewed voices and filtered voices that it takes us to a healthy place i think it's important though for us to understand um that if a character is in a hurtful situation or a hurtful relationship it's important to spread that message and make people aware that this isn't a bad situation for her and make those arguments even if they're not necessarily expressed for the book i think it should definitely spark a conversation where we have that um like i said to have that discussion about is this okay for her or not and it's interesting because when i was reading reviews for six of crows i love we've talked we talked about kaz and an edge and how they grow together but a lot of people well, not a lot of people but a number of people who had mixed feelings about the books that they didn't like that relationship between the two of them because kaz is a horrible person and nedge has been through horrible things but kaz like helps her make her um the knife that she is in a certain way and the killer that she is in a lot of ways and i i would i'll make arguments for that and i'll make, say it's necessary or they they had to do what they did to survive but it doesn't take away the argument that that relationship even can be perceived as um not healthy in a lot of ways so i think it's good mm -hmm. that it promotes these discussions but you do have to be conscious as a writer i think most importantly as a writer what you're saying when you build these yeah definitely and i think that's one thing that um lee bardugo mentioned when we went to see her speak in tampa yes that there are people that actually have messaged her and been like i don't like this book because the characters in this book are all awful yeah. <laughs> and it's like well yeah it's it's, it's legitimate it's true mm -hmm. so it's it's one of those things that you there's no real right answer i guess right and and you know it, it's kind of like books don't always have to be to educate i think that's what i get from a lot of them and i think it helps me learn how i navigate and perceive the world but they can also just be there to entertain and I guess at the end of the mm -hmm. day, you, you can't silence those lenses because we're all going to have a different opinion or a different view of these. And maybe someone gets something from viewing um, what we perceive as an unhealthy relationship. Maybe they forget something different from viewing it from their own experiences or from their own view. Maybe they realize this is, 
even without being told this is not in a healthy relationship, or maybe they realize this is something that could have been better in this way and it helps them through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. What were we talking talking about? about How the author of this book, whose name I don't remember pronunciation of, um, yes. She addresses things like slavery and the sex, sexist and sexual treatment of people in the book in a way like she doesn't gloss over it, but she doesn't go into mm-hmm. too much detail or too not too much detail, but beat you over. I think yes. this is a decent way to put it. Yes, that is what we were talking yes. about. And I don't know where to go from here. I, don't, I think <laughs> that covered most of what I want to discuss about this book, um, Scary Commandant, and then the situations of both of our characters. And Marcus can go down a hole, and Helene deserves better. <laughs> Helene is bro- she's Bloodstrike now. She is Bloodstrike. Also, that is a beautiful title. I appreciate that someone has recognized <laughs> the species of Shrike, and I appreciate that they attach blood to it. <laughs> beautiful. My inner bird lover is pleased. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you satisfied if it was blood owl or no. blood crow? See, those are done. Those are done too much, though. The shrike is a special little bird that not many people notice or discuss enough. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my birds. <laughs> Everyone's reading this for. The romance or the revolution or whatever. I'm like, the blood strike though. And the <laughs> The commandant and the blood strike and the nightbringer and the shady man. Shady lord. Shady lord. Shady lord. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the map to see if there was anything else I wanted to talk about. I don't think so. Okay. Then I think this concludes our discussion of An Ember in the Ashes. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a bunch of stuff we missed or didn't touch on, but yeah. I think those were the broad strokes of it. Yeah. Awesome. The writing is great. The writing is great. Even when you were reading the introduction of the Commandant and how they introduced that through the writing. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this first person? I can't remember. No, it's third person. Okay, it's, cool. It is first yeah. person. It's the first person, but it's, it's two different characters, and they differentiate between the two by the title headings of the chapters. Oh, yeah, it is first yep. person. Is it first person present? I think so, because I think after I read it, I was kept writing in first person present. And then I was like, oh, no. Yes, it I is first person present. That's a, that's a thing that people are doing a lot nowadays. I don't know if it happened before, but... I think it was, it's been around for a while in this in this genre, in this realm. And the first person has been very popular with YA in general. And then the first person present, you don't, I don't, you see it, I think you see it an equal amount as the first person past tense, but it might be skewing that idea in my head. But well handled. I think those were all good choices. Yeah. So beautiful. Yes. Anyways. I think this ending. Hello. What? You were you were saying something. I just said I think I was going to say I think this concludes our discussion 
of An Ember in the Ashes. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. Okay, so. Until you finish the second book. Until, uh, yes, one day. I'm getting there. I'm like 70, I'm about 70 pages in. Making some progress. Mm -hmm. Probably read some more today. Mm -hmm. I was way at work. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just. Yeah, the second book is, is a ride. The second book is better than the first I, book. I embrace, I embrace for it. They are out of the, out of the martial empire. Kind of. They're out of the city. In mm -hmm. the wilderness. Elias is dying. That's great. Everything's great. Uh, yeah. This is fine. That's, that's happening. It, it's it's interesting. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to edit out a lot of this part. Uh, thank you all for listening yeah. to our discussion of An Ember in the Ashes. Yeah, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Okay, are we gonna conclude that? Is that concluded? That's probably concluded. Cool. I can edit all the stuff. Oh, amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm gonna hit finish recording. Okay. Bye. Bye.